some of this stuff is your call to give them all of the data to make the best possible decisions, but they're still making the decisions. If they don't want to take your expertise, they don't need to. They're paying for it. Pay me. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> everyone, it is Tracy. You're listening to From A to B. Maybe the first time, maybe the second time, the last time. I don't know. Hopefully it's not the last time. Don't leave it up to me to not make it the last time. <laughs> you may have heard the little gremlin in the background. That is my co-host Shiva. Shiva. <laughs> I wish they could see your face right now. <laughs> I don't support this. This is bullshit. <laughs> you were rizzing me so hard last episode and it just is a continuation. I don't like this trend. This is a bad trend. If I can recall, you did say it was our best episode yet, so... Yeah, because I was the best in it. Mm, the okay. KPI is how good did I sound. I don't care about <laughs> I clip you out. Like, 90% of what you say is just gone. This is the shit. You do. Actually, you do. You do do that because we did not know the name of the movie, of the clip, the you can't handle the proof or you can't handle the truth, whatever. And I got it right. I said it was... You do get it right. I did get it right. What was it? Now I'm forgetting it. <laughs> I mean, just kidding. There's no evidence to prove that you knew what you were talking about. Well, okay. My spouse came home and was like, I can't believe you couldn't name that movie. And I'm like, dude, I did. Shiva cut it out. I don't know. There's no evidence of this. I can't I can't seem to find the evidence to prove that this is correct. I have the raw cut. Are you sure? I'm sure you do. I didn't delete this all the, the files. This is the last episode of From A to B. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> No, we're just getting started. Oh, my God. Well, this episode's going to be rough, but... I think um, the vibe check has passed, though. I think we're in the clear. I think we're good. Uh, anywho, thanks for joining us. Don't forget, if you're catching us at CXL Live, we have a nice little treat for you, but you have to say the password, which is Rizzy. Don't forget it. Okay, Shiva. So... I've noticed that we had a lot of positive response from an episode from a few weeks back, and it was the Zero Jobs Red Flag episode. Yep. If you haven't listened to it yet, please go ahead and listen to it. Kind of picking up where we left off on the last episode, obviously it reads as more of a in-house episode. You're employed on a team, you have your boss, you have your colleagues, you have HR, very different experience than if you're employed at an agency and you don't necessarily get a say on what kind of work you're doing or you get handed clients that you're mm, like not too keen on and may end up being a client from hell. Also, if you're like myself, if you're a freelancer, if you are self-employed and you actually have a say in what kind of clients you take on, you start noticing red flags. How do you get through that? How do you identify those red flags? Help. SOS. What do you do? <laughs> Like I myself, I have been in situations in the past where I inherit the agency's most quote unquote challenging client and hit is very difficult. I wish I had someone guiding me through that. Oftentimes I was kind of left on my own to deal with it. Not to toot your own horn, but maybe they gave you the challenging client because you were most equipped to handle them. That is exactly what happened. <laughs> With great power comes great responsibility. It is true. Thank you, Uncle Ben. Uh, I really <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> I was telling my spouse yesterday, and he like totally disagreed with this, but I would much rather work with a very kind and open-minded and patient client for a $3,000 project than an asshole client worth $10,000. It's just not worth it. So if you want to protect your sanity, this is going to be a good episode for you. This is one of the reasons why I 
didn't love agency life as much as I thought I would because the highs can be very high, but the lows can be very low. And the ability for me working in-house to be able to foster relationships and do things is just different. I also like not having many clients. I can barely focus on one thing. So to have me focus on 20 things, kind of tough for me. And especially if you have a really difficult client in the mix, they are kind of the energy sucking of two or three clients. So just add another two or three clients to your plate. No big deal. You can do it, right? The worst part about these clients is I would have to say their behavior. The ones that like scold you and yell at you for like, why didn't this test win? Mm-hmm. And I think a little bit of that's probably due to education, but a little bit of it is due to just them being an asshole. So many times I've seen on the flip side, I've seen really bad agencies just be terrible. It's right for someone to scold a dog shit agency. Totally get that. Yeah. But on the flip side, dude, when you are a good agency and they're scolding you for like, why didn't this test win? Dislike those conversations. This is a really good segue to what are the warning signs that you may end up with a client from hell? And you brought up a few good points there. You brought up behaviors. You brought up education. I think there's a lot of different reasons why a client may be giving off signals that they're going to be a pain in the ass. But some of them are actually, there are yellow flags. There are things that come up that are like, proceed with caution. I'm going to have to do some extra heavy lifting to convince them that this mentality is wrong. But it's not necessarily a red flag. That said, if a client is outright disrespecting you right from the start, or maybe they give junior members of the team or like women on the team a very different level of respect than maybe any of the like senior males that they're interacting with right away, I am like, I cannot work with this individual. Disrespect is an automatic no. What's the solution to disrespect other than just call out the bad behavior? And I've seen it before. On the flip side, it could also be sometimes these people have worked with such terrible agencies. They are generalizing this experience with a bad agency and kind of assuming you're going to be terrible rather than giving you the freedom to fail and like the freedom to show that you're not terrible and instead assuming it. So they're trying to protect themselves. I think it's logical, but that doesn't mean it's good. So at a certain point, I actually think there's a little bit of empathy you should have with them to know that they might have gotten burned for with the dog shit agency. So they're coming at you with a fine tooth comb so they don't get burned again. They don't look embarrassing. Have some empathy towards their background and understand that maybe they've just learned the wrong information. Give an opportunity to talk to them and educate them on the right way for how to do things. So are you then kind of saying that's a yellow flag? Because I'm going to double down on this. I'm going to say that is a red flag. The second you start disrespecting me, it's a no from me. Well, it depends, right? Like if they're saying like, you're a woman, of course you don't know experimentation. Like <laughs> Shiva, it is never as obvious as that. No, I know, I know. Let me like- give you an example. When I was in this agency hired to take on the challenging clients, there were a handful of clients that were lovely people. They just needed a bit more educating, a little bit more coaching, but they, you know, they came around and I liked them as people. Whereas there was this one point of contact who, it didn't matter what I said, he was just not down for it. He would not accept that, oh, maybe (laughs) test duration matters when you're collecting results. He was very keen on the fact that just because you're running a randomized sample test, that time does not matter. You can wrap up a test in five days because he's done clinical trials and pretty much was like, if you don't have any peer-reviewed sources to prove me wrong, I don't want to listen to it. So this is someone who I knew automatically is not willing to listen to anybody. 
I was so floored because this was my first difficult client. I didn't know what to do about them. But, you know, after some little sleuthing on the side, I realized through all of their Glassdoor reviews, this business, they just had that culture of gaslighting the juniors or anything that leadership says is the right thing. It was just a very toxic environment. So sometimes you're going to be signing on a client who this is just in their blood is being an asshole. That client should not have even been signed. Maybe they were more respectful to the CEO of the agency and then just didn't give a shit about their account managers. But it's important to suss shit like this out and say, I'm going to walk away from this because I would not take this person on as a client, as a freelancer today. Sometimes you could win them over with perpetual education. And when I say education, it's not continue to lecture them about how they're wrong. But maybe you talk to them and say, oh, are you talking about sequential testing? Because I'd love to adopt sequential testing. We don't have a tool that can do that. You almost like massage their metaphorical brain and like make them sound smart and say, I get what you're saying. And maybe we should do these things. And it's like you're seen as a partner. Sometimes, bro, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes our education is us just mansplaining to other people and scolding them for not knowing. Well, of course you don't end a test after two days what are you doing and then they got on the defensive and they're like well fuck you i'm right and they double down and then you double down like it never wins no you have a point when we talk about education in these relationships it's coming from a point of empathy and i'm gonna keep on fucking harping on this but it comes from a point of like let's work together let me understand your basis of knowledge let me tell you my basis of knowledge and let's work together to collectively uplift yeah but sometimes us CROs, I'm not going to lie, dude. Sometimes us CROs like to just be right. And our line of business kind of attracts that sometimes. It is true. You're not wrong. However. I'm always not wrong. All right. Like, this is bullshit. Why do you have to make this qualifier? Always not wrong does not mean always right. <laughs> Wait, did I double negative myself? Um, <laughs> sure, Shiva. Okay. It's worth mentioning there are going to be clients who are impossible to please. You can bust your ass as much as you want and they will still complain about something else. I've been there. It's happened. That's a big red flag to me. It's hard to detect when that's going to happen in the engagement, but it happens. I guess there's two layers of that, right? That starts pre-engagement where you have to suss out what are the expectations. Other folks have dealt with this. I read a LinkedIn post about this recently where like, would you sign up with a client who only paid you for wins? No. Out of your principle, no. But if, I guess it's pay for performance. Uh -huh. Unlike the ideal side, you're like, fuck no, that's a toxic relationship. That's tough. On the realistic side, I'm like, if you have no other clients and you're trying to eat, I get it. But maybe you just have to set clear expectations that I'm going to do my best to identify wins. Actually, you know what? I'm going to take back what I said here. Okay. I don't think you should, if it's strictly pay for wins, I would never work with that client. Uh -huh. But if it's paid for performance, I'd still be like, caution, caution, red alert. But maybe there's some education you could work with them on. It's still a tough uphill battle that you should know what you're getting into. I wouldn't even do it if I were desperate. I wouldn't take this client on because I am confident I will get prospects soon in the near future. Just the energy that I put out into the world, someone's going to come to me. And I don't need to take on work that I know is going to actually hurt my income for the month. Don't be deceived that picking up a client that wants a performance guarantee will still 
help you pay your bills because they're actually going to drain you. They're going to be taking up all your time and there is no guarantee that you're actually going to get paid. That's fair. There's probably more of a guarantee that you're going to fail because you're not embracing the losses and the the lukewarm results that are so important to getting to the wins. So I don't even think it's worth it, even if you're desperate. That's a good call out. If you know what you're getting into and you're prepared to handle that, then you have the consent in this relationship and you say, I know this is gonna fucking suck, Mm -hmm. but these are the guardrails. And maybe you could do your best to like, say, I need a baseline X amount of dollar. If the baseline X amount of dollar is solid and then they give you a bump in performance maybe you consider that although to your point tracy i still think that's not ideal if you have other clients you could focus your energy on that will be far more beneficial and more mutualistic totally go for it that also goes into expectations what do they expect out of this program? It's very similar to what maybe hiring managers are expecting when they hire an experimentation strategist or like a CRO manager. Are they expecting results immediately? That's a yellow flag to me. It says maybe they just don't know how long it really takes to get the value out of a CRO program. If it's like they're not willing to set up the foundation to get there, they're not willing to take those extra couple of weeks to create a process, a repeatable, sustainable framework for doing this over and over again, that obsession with speed is like a deal breaker. And it shows that they're not aligned with your process. They just want to tell you what your job is and you're an order taker. Can you hit a test winner in your first test? It's possible. I bet your ass you're going to be blamed if you can't. Yeah, that's true. And it's like, well, I told you. (laughs) I told you so. It's important to understand that you have to set these expectations up front and be very clear all along the way. I think this is true agency side. I think this is true freelance side. Before you sign any contracts, tell them, I'm not giving you a list of test winners. I'm giving you a process. The hope is that we follow the process properly and we get towards learnings, we get towards saves, we get towards winners at some point. It's going to be a net benefit. You're like the guy who's investing in crypto at the like peak, right? Like, do you invest in crypto or I just investing in general, right? Do you invest and then say, I need guaranteed results in three days. Otherwise, this is worth not worth it. It's like they're looking for silver bullets. It's a big red flag, looking for silver bullets. And if you can't talk them off the ledge of the silver bullets, that is a red flag. I think it's like a yellow red flag if they're looking for silver bullets, but you could talk them into process and say, okay, I understand. I think that stock example is a great example for anyone who wants to like have these conversations to say, we are going to invest in this. If you look at my stock portfolio today, it was down like 20% or one stock was down 20%. Am I going to sell, sell, sell and say it was a waste of money? No, because I'm like plus 3%, which is great. You don't look at it day over day, hour over hour, same way you don't look at tests hour over hour. Some people do, Shiva. True, true. (laughs) And that's a whole conversation around peaking. I'm not trying to get into, but point heard. I think the education side is important. Know the red flags and set expectations up front. Be very clear. If you're hearing, oh, we are expecting wins month number one, there are other kinds of behaviors that are secondary to that, which is like peaking, looking at test results every single day, just waiting, like being so obsessed with speed that you're like day four. I love the result I'm seeing. Big blowout win. Let's end it right now. Let's launch our next test. Not really giving the test the whole time to actually detect a real change. You know what my favorite thing is when a leader like that is peaking? So this is a good tactical thing you could do. AA test? AA test. I love this. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, I spoiled it. Yeah. All right. Thanks. 
So if you want to be really sneaky and be terrible, like risk the relationship, but like high risk, high reward, this is kind of a nuclear option. Call it an actual test. Make the leadership team think it's a legitimate test. And then it's an AA test. And then when they peak, say like, let's end it. Let's just call it real quick. Do it. It's like, it's winning. It's plus 30%. Why would we end it now? Say like, okay, let's do it. And then end the test and then show them control versus test variation. And they're like, wait, it's the same thing. Like, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> I love this example. I've totally taken your advice on just run an AA test and see. I pride myself on honesty and transparency. So I tell the client. Do you? Like, yeah, I do. <laughs> what if I ever lied to you? Go on. No comment. Good. Shut up. So I tell the client up front, I'm going to run this AA test. Here's what an AA test is. Reason why we're doing this is twofold. One, I want to actually see if your events are tracking properly and we're not working with inaccurate data because that would suck. And second being, I want to show you in the first days of a test how wildly the results are going to skew in different directions. By the time we're rolling around to week two, three, four, you're going to see it balance out. And if we haven't seen it balance out on an AA test, obviously there's an issue going on. But that's kind of the point of doing an AA test. So I love that piece of advice. Run an AA test if you have a client who's impatient. If you have the opportunity to look at their analytics and you see it's totally janked up and nothing makes sense, numbers don't add up, exit rates are like just zeros and like their tagging is just not working properly. And I'd say like there's probably gray areas, right? Like is it some metrics aren't working or just site-wide it's terrible? All the reports are sampled. There's a ton of random events. Math doesn't math up. Basically all of the signals that something doesn't look good. Is that a red flag or is that a yellow flag? I think it depends. To me, that's a red flag. If they are hiring you on to test on top of a shitty foundation of data, you're extrapolating on top of shit, uh -huh. right? You're adding pile of shit to the pile of shit and hoping you can make a diamond. And it's like, you're not, that's not going to work. And that was one of my clients I had to work with that I kind of wish pre-sales, we did a deeper dive in the analytics, like a real true deep dive. And I actually looked at the data and been like, we should not be running any tests until we fix this. Because we signed a contract and the expectations were set with their internal leadership team that we'd be running tests and seeing value out of a couple months and blah, 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 blah. But we just had to run tests on top of it. We had SRM through the roof. We're trying to extrapolate results on reports that were sampled down to 3%. Can you say what SRM is? Sample ratio mismatch. So when you run a test at 50-50 and you define it as 50% control, 50% test, and then the actual results of the distribution manifests as like 48% control, 52%. That means there's a fault in the randomization mechanism and you should not trust the test results. I know you said that's a red flag and I think that's totally reasonable, but it's more of a red flag if you are a freelancer thinking of taking this new client on because that is going to eat into your income if you can't outsource fixing their implementation or fixing their data infrastructure or their data integrity because that falls on you. And that's time that you're going to spend away from business development or other clients who are maybe less like low maintenance. Not everybody has the resources or the expertise to fix a shitty data setup. So that's like red flag, yellow flag. Part of that might compound that they hire you thinking, especially freelance, they hire you thinking you are just going to come in and fix it. Mm -mm. Like you're CRO, you uh -uh. do all the things. No. I'm sure this relates to red flags that you've dealt with being fractional that like someone expects you to, you're CRO, you design, you develop, you analyze, you strategize, you program manage, you. I'm everything. That's another print, thing. Print money. You, yeah. Do they expect you, you to be everything? everything.
It's like, did you not hire for this? Speaking of which, resourcing, that's another thing that always, always, always comes up, even in-house, but also especially if you are a freelancer. What do they have in-house that's available to support the program? I tell every prospect, CRO is a team sport. I am not a magician. I am not a designer. I'm not a developer. And I don't want to mislead anyone into thinking that. Do you have a developer on hand? Do you have a designer on hand? It's funny because that's just true with all CRO jobs. It's not unique to client side, but maybe the benefit that client side might be able to have is if you're an agency, you have those resources internally. So if they don't have dev resources and design resources and you're an agency that kind of has more of the stack altogether, maybe that's why they hire you. That's okay. That's a match made in heaven versus like if they hire me to be the strategist and I go in-house... And then just kidding, we don't have any resources. Like, all right, we'll hire someone else. Well, we had budget for you. It's like, all right, well. You ready to double that budget for me? Because it looks like I'm designing and developing. Guess I better learn Figma. Yeah, <laughs> Figma's easy. It's more like. Yeah, true. I, I didn't. <laughs> Shiva doesn't know Figma. You don't know Figma. You know what? I know. Your mom goes to college. My mom did go to college. <laughs> That's a good one. Where's that from? Napoleon Dynamite? No. Okay, if it's Napoleon Dynamite and you cut this out that I got it right, I'm going to be so fucking pissed. <laughs> I love Napoleon Dynamite. I'm 99% sure it's not Napoleon Dynamite. Hey there, this is Shiva. Here's a quick editor's note. I fucked up. It was Napoleon Dynamite. And holy shit, Tracy, you were right. So let's get back to the program. Is there anything else that you would add to this list? I really want to focus on the agency strategists who don't have a say in the clients that they get. How can they protect themselves from the client from hell? So what I'd say is think about why they are your client from hell. If it's personality, like the person who talked to Tracy, who was just like, you don't know stats. I have a PhD. I know more than you because math. That guy is just never going to be convinced in any way. And it's just an arrogance that you can't educate your way out of in many cases. But I'd still say try and offer the partnership. We still have to work together. So let's try and make this work. And maybe there's things you lean on and say, all right, well, it's clear, you know, these things, but let's try these things. And at the end of the day, some of this stuff is your call to give them all of the data to make the best possible decisions but they're still making the decisions. If they don't want to take your expertise, they don't need to. They're paying for it. Pay me. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> the same thing with internal too, to be honest. I work with product owners who I'll tell them, this is a bad idea. Here are the 20 reasons, not 20. Here's the three reasons right. Here's the research and here's the test data. They're like, that's cool. We're going to do it. And I'm like, cool, not my problem, unfortunately. You still get your paycheck. I still get paid. And I have put it in clear documented processes that this is why we're doing it this way. It also helps if your director is an ally to you or your boss in general, they may be able to help you. They may be able to reach out to the client and say, hey, how are you feeling about the program? The strategist loves working with you. What can we do better? And then relay that feedback off to you. I've also found it's quite effective to have my boss do the outreach and ask the client like unbiased. Is there something that is not doing it for you? So maybe it's you. Maybe you're the problem, but most times you're just doing your best. There's one last thing that I want to end off with, and it was a really good piece of advice that I'll never forget. It was from Sarah Stockdale. She runs a growth marketing boot camp that I took. She's amazing. She's 
dealt with so many different characters in her career. So it was a really good piece of advice. She told me sometimes it helps to let them get to the conclusion themselves, get to the right answer themselves and have them think that it was their idea. It takes swallowing some pride and that's the most painful part. But it's very rewarding when your client starts using your language and starts schooling you on CRO principles correctly. So shout out to Sarah. I've never forgotten that. That's a great piece of advice, right? Let's build bridges. Let's wall work together instead of scolding others for being doo-doo heads, which is absolutely correct. It doesn't matter who's right. It's like the secret to a good marriage. It doesn't matter who's right. How do we get past the problem together? No one needs to be right. That's probably why I'm not married yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that explains a lot, Shema. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for our last episode. <laughs> so yeah, I hope I hope this was helpful. I learned some interesting things as well. But now, let us go ahead and transition to the LinkedIn post of the week. All right, so this week's LinkedIn post of the week comes courtesy of David Hamill. He gave a very interesting perspective on designers and dark patterns that I wanted to explore a little bit more. He says, whenever there's talk of deceptive design patterns, there's often a thread in the discussion which blames the designers. It's usually not their fault. The UX designers and researchers are often the ones calling out deceptive designs for what they are internally. We should stop blaming the designers. If you incentivize teams to massage a metric up or down, there has to be a line in the sand that they can't cross. Mm. We did talk about Amazon dark patterns, and I think this very much echoes the same sentiment of, I wanted to blame the Amazon designers for saying like, fuck you, why are you doing these dark patterns? And it's an interesting thought to say like, is it their fault or is this above them? I think it's above them. I've never met a designer who wants to ship a dark pattern, truly. Usually what happens is we'll be on the call with their boss and after the designer will message me and say, that was not my idea. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Don't you worry, I know. I see it, it's true. It happens with us in CROs too with test ideas, right? Like sometimes there's test ideas we don't want to test. Yes. Same thing with design patterns, like testing the design patterns that are terrible and going to hack dark UX patterns. We don't want to test it. We don't like testing it. Even if we know it's going to win and that's like a nice bump for our metrics and makes us look good. I don't want to test it. I feel comfortable as fuck testing it. Same as you, but you said something really interesting, which was, where's the line to draw in the sand? To be fair, David okay. said this. I you didn't said this. David said yes. Yes. Uh, I'm not taking credit for that. David said this. I just don't give me credit for it. That's all. Okay. Credit to David. Thank you. Where is that line in the sand? How do you tell what is appropriate to design and ship and what is not? And do you even have a say in the matter when you have a leadership team who's saying, no, we don't care that this is kind of shady. We want to hit our goals. We have investors up our ass. We have directors up our ass. What can you do? It's interesting because I don't think we can have a global rule for that. Like, what is ethical? Murder, I think we could all generally agree, is not good. But, like, sometimes it is. Did we see the whole Taken movie? Like, we were celebrating the fuck out of Liam Neeson with killing those. I'm pretty sure he killed them. But killing those dudes, and we're like, that's cool with us. Shiva just said that we should legalize murder. Uh, everybody, let it be known. <laughs> I didn't say that explicitly in this episode, at least. 
But <laughs> what is the line of ethics? What is the line of dark patterns? I think there are some things that we all mostly agree on. But then there's some things like there's some stuff that we just don't agree on. So there should be a line in the sand until the point like trying to trick old people into a fake CTA that they accidentally click thinking they canceled it and they didn't. We should all be okay saying that that's a dark pattern. That's a line we don't cross. There's some people who won't agree with that. Yeah, I mean, VPs. Um, yeah, uh, no, people who kidding. want more money. Not everyone. To be fair, there's lots of people who even in senior leadership would be like, that's cool. It's so subjective. You might see a dark pattern and you might think something's a dark pattern and then have someone else say, it's not a dark pattern. It's just motivational. Like, I think the big message from David's post, which I totally agree with, is it's not the designer's fault in the majority of cases. But at the end of the day, I don't think we should really be blaming the designer because chances are that was not their choice. Totally agree. Well, Shiva, it was an absolute misfortune talking to you again today. I appreciate the words of affirmation. That is very <laughs> much appreciated. Tracy's therapist who's listening to this recognize that she is, in <laughs> fact, the terrible one. Can you work on this? Appreciate it. She actually probably should listen to this. I think it would give her a lot of context into my psyche. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, everybody, if you're listening to this, first of all, go to therapy. It's great for you. And second of all, if you like what you heard, of course, just give us some love on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. A five-star review if you loved us. Lately, we've been getting a lot of people reposting our content on LinkedIn and, and sharing with their community how much they like listening. So if you do the same, hey, we're going to notice and we're probably going to reach out to you and give you a lot of love. So And give them a so certification status of what, Tracy? Of a certified homie. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. I'm going to put that on my CV. So <laughs> yeah. Do you want to be part of that club or not? I don't know. We want to hear from you. We love you. And thank you for listening. And don't forget, if you're at CXL Live, passcode is Rizzy and you get a very special treat from us. Thanks, y'all.